Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Matthew, chapter 14. This morning we began to look at the words of Jesus that we find often in the Gospels where he says to his disciples, do not fear or do not be afraid. And we saw the words, those words several times in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus was sending his disciples out to preach in the land of Israel And in order to encourage them, to strengthen them, give them perseverance in the face of the opposition that they would face, he told them, do not fear those who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Only the fear of God can overcome the fear of man. And only his fear can enable us to obey Christ's command and to be faithful to him. And we reason from Jesus' words that when he said, do not fear those who can kill the body, he was really saying, do not fear death itself, but rather God who has the power over all life and death. And if we are not to fear death, which is the worst that can ever happen to us in this life, then we should have no fears. Fear God and all other fears will disappear. John Flavel wrote, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of man, they run into evil. Another Puritan, James or Joseph Hall, he said this, he said, The godly man is afraid of nothing. Not of God, because he knows him as his best friend, who will not hurt him. Not of Satan, because he cannot hurt him. Not of afflictions, because he knows they come from a loving God and end in his good. Not of creatures, since they are under the rule of God. And not of himself, since his conscience is at peace. Tonight we want to consider other occasions in which Jesus said to his disciples, do not fear or do not be afraid. Here in Matthew chapter 14, we begin reading at verse 22 through 27. Matthew 14, verse 22. And immediately he made his disciples, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. In the previous part of this chapter, Jesus had performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. When he was done, in verse 22, he commanded the disciples 
to get into the boat and sail to the other side of the sea. And they did so and set out across the sea. They were doing the will of God and things seemed to go well for them for a time. Jesus remained on the land. He sent the multitude away. In verse 23, he went up to the mountain by himself alone to pray. And at the end of verse 23, we are told that it was evening, which means that the sun was setting and the darkness was falling quickly upon the disciples as they were in the boat in the sea. In verse 24, a number of hours had passed. It was now in the middle of the night. The disciples were many stadia away from the land. John tells us, I think, 25 to 30, which is three, perhaps more than closer to four miles out in the middle of the sea. Matthew tells us here at the end of verse 24 that they were battered by the waves. Their ship was battered, beaten by the waves, and the wind was contrary. A fierce wind had come down upon the sea, which was common because of the mountains that surrounded that sea. Matthew writes of another storm in chapter 8 that there was a great storm in the sea and the boat was covered with the waves. John tells us of this account that the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. And this mighty wind came down from the mountains. The waves of the sea were picked up. The boat was being battered and beaten by the waves. It was nighttime. It was dark. They were somewhere out in the middle of the sea. The sound of the wind was howling all around them. Under the darkness of the night, under the cloud cover, they had lost their bearing. The long hours were passing. Mark tells us in his account that they were straining at the oars. It must have seemed like an endless night. They were tired, they were weary, disoriented. There seemed to be no relief. A sense of fear and panic set in. And they began to think that they might not make it out of this storm and would perish in the sea. They were experienced fishermen, but they knew that boats like theirs were torn to pieces in storms like this and others had perished in the sea and they thought they would soon join them. Matthew tells us in the beginning of verse 25, it was the fourth watch of the night. Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the night. But then something unexpected took place. Jesus came walking toward them in verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. The sight of Jesus walking on the sea should have been a comfort to them, but 
In their confusion and in their disorientation, they could not recognize him. They could not understand how a man could walk upon the sea in the midst of such a terrible storm. They could not interpret reality and understand things as they should. They had known Jesus for a long time, but when they saw him here, they thought he was some kind of a ghost, and their fears were so great that Matthew tells us at the end of verse 26, they cried out for fear. In verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. He wasted no time to calm their fears and speak words of comfort and peace to them. Above the roar of the wind and the waves, they could hear his voice, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Down in verse 32, we read, and when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Jesus got into the boat. We read on other occasions that he spoke those words, Hush, be still, and the wind and the waves would become calm. And his mighty power went out over all of the sea, and everything came to rest. The storm was over. The disciples were in such a state of amazement, they confessed that he must be the Son of God. The wind and the storms, the wind and the storm that came upon these disciples is like the troubles and the difficulties that come upon us in this life. They come suddenly, sometimes, from all different directions. We feel the wind blowing against our face, the waves battering the little boat of our lives. We do not know why such things are happening. Everything seems dark and disorienting, and in the confusion and the perplexity of it all, we cannot seem to see a way out, and we do not know what to do. And the trial continues, and its duration becomes long. And it seems that the Lord is not with us, and we do not know where to find help or to turn. We are like the disciples in this boat in the storm at sea. But Jesus, in the midst of those storms of this present life, he would say the same thing to us that he said to his disciples. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The words take courage and be not afraid are commands. Take courage could be translated be filled with courage. And the tense of the verb, do not be afraid, it means stop what one is already doing and end it 
permanently. The assumption is that they were already filled with fear. And so Jesus here, he is commanding them to cease, to stop from their fears and put their fears away permanently. Courage, courage and fear. Two opposites of one another. Jesus says, be filled with one and put away the other. Be filled with courage and put away your fears. And the reason is given in the middle of the two where he says, it is I. This is why you should take courage and put away all of your fears, for it is I, your great master and Lord, the one whom you have seen so many times before, with my great power and my goodness in so many ways. It is I who am with you in this storm, the one whom you have seen give sight to the blind and make the lame to walk and the deaf to hear, the one who has cleansed the lepers and raised the dead, it is I. How long have I been with you? We can hear him say, and yet you do not know me as you should. Take courage, he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Let us ask a question at this point. Were these disciples at any time here in any real danger? With Jesus up upon the mountain praying for them? Mark tells us in his account that Jesus saw them from the mountain as they were straining at the oars in the sea. Were they ever in any real danger? No, they could not be with Jesus watching and praying for them. We do not have Jesus on a mountain somewhere looking down upon us now. But we have Jesus raised from the dead and exalted into the highest place of glory and there at the right hand of God, he intercedes for us. He looks down upon all of his people and he sees us in the midst of the storms, the winds, the troubles of this life, and he prays for us. And there can be no real danger that could ever come upon us either. He will come to us and he will deliver us in every time of need. He can choose the way that he will come in deliverance in a way that we may not expect like he did with these disciples when he came walking on the water. He may come at the time of his choosing. In the fourth watch of the night, he may wait and he may delay, but he will come because he can never forsake his disciples who believe in him and for whom he shed his blood upon the cross. The wind and the waves are still under his sovereign power, and there is nothing that can happen to us apart from his will. So in the midst of all the storms and the troubles 
and the uncertainties of life, Jesus would say to us as he said to them, Take courage, it is I, your great master. Do not be afraid. So when we find ourselves in darkness and confusion, and there are winds that blow against us and we feel the battering waves, we may remember his words here. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. A second occasion tonight in which we see these words of Jesus are found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. The chapter begins with Jesus teaching the multitude from the shore in verse 1. The multitude was large. They were pressing in upon him in verse 2. Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat and went out into the water a little way And then we see down at the end of verse 3, he continued to teach. And then he sat down in the boat and was teaching the multitude. When he was finished teaching in verse 4, then he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Then we read in verse 5, And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink It was a supernatural miracle of Jesus as the Son of God in his sovereign power over nature. Absolute power over everything in his creation, including the fish of the sea. He could command them wherever he willed, and they must obey him. It was by the invisible power of his word He said to Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets. And he directed the fish into their nets for the great catch. It was not that Jesus simply saw the fish and told them to put their nets in there. It was that he exercised his sovereignty over those fish and directed them into the net. The disciples had been fishing all night long and they caught nothing but at the word of Jesus their nets and their boats were filled to the point of sinking. The divine glory and power of Jesus was demonstrated before the disciples. And then we read in verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. It was an overpowering experience for Peter. He was struck with a sense of terror. 
Because suddenly two things had come together in Peter's mind. First, the deity and the holiness of Jesus. And second, his own sinfulness. And Peter's sinfulness and Jesus' holiness could not remain in the same place together. They must depart from one another. And so Peter fell down at Jesus' feet in this act of worship that Jesus here clearly accepted. And Peter said to him, depart from me, separate from me. And the reason is, for I am a sinful man. And he calls him Lord because he knew him to be God. You are holy. I am sinful. I am not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Then we read in verses 9 and 10. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John Sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Those words of Jesus here, do not fear. Similar to what we saw back in Matthew's gospel, it was a command to him that he should cease or stop from being afraid implying that he was afraid, but he should now cease from all fear. Peter's words back in verse 8 show that it was in the sight of his own sinfulness, in the presence of Jesus, that had filled him with this sense of fear. And Peter here was in a state of what we might call fearful sorrow, Repentance with fear over his sin. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was a believer, but he had come now into this greater understanding of the holiness of Christ and of his own sinfulness. And it is something like what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall set me free from the body of Of this death. But what does Jesus say in response to Peter's confession of his own sinfulness? Peter's Jesus says at the end of verse 10 Do not fear. Words of tender kindness to one who was filled with a sense of sorrow. And grief over his sin. Do not fear, Peter. I am able to cleanse you. Do not fear. You are a sinful man, yes. But do not fear. I am able to wash you. And to forgive you of all your sin. Put away your sin. Put away your fear, rather. Peter. I am the Savior of sinners. You are full of sin, yes, but I am full of mercy and do not fear anymore. 
Peter thought, perhaps, that he was now useless to the Lord for any service because of his sinfulness. Because in Peter's mind, the only thing for Jesus to do now was to separate, depart from him, and to be done with him. But Jesus says, no, I am not done with you. Do not fear. My mercy and my grace will make you still even more useful than ever before. From now on, he says, you will be catching men by the preaching of the gospel. You have been catching fish to put them to death. But your time as a fisherman is now over, and from now on you will be catching men to bring them into eternal life by the gospel. So Jesus speaks words of peace and calm to troubled sinners, and he is able to make them into new creations and to make them useful in the service of his kingdom. So when we feel how deep our sin is, how unworthy we are of anything from the Lord, we must remember we can always go to him, find forgiveness and cleansing, and he would say the same to us today as he says to Peter on this occasion. This is what we find so often in the gospel at the end of Luke chapter 7, the immoral woman came into the house of the Pharisee and wept at Jesus' feet, and he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Mark chapter 2, they brought the paralytic down and set him before Jesus. Jesus said, My son, your sins are forgiven. When we say, I am full of sin, he says, I am full of mercy. When we say, I am unworthy, He says, yes, you are unworthy in yourself, but in me. You can serve me and be useful to me in my kingdom. And so Jesus delights to speak peace to those who are troubled over their sins. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. We find another occasion of these words in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And verse 40 through 42. Luke 8 and verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, who, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. So here we are introduced to this man named Jairus, who was a synagogue official. He had an only daughter, twelve years old. She was gravely ill, we're told in the middle of verse 42, that the illness was so serious she was dying back at her home. Jairus here was a man of faith. 
And he believed in the healing power of Jesus, that Jesus could deliver his daughter from this sickness. And in verse 41, he came to Jesus and fell at his feet and entreated him to come to his home and heal her. Jesus began to follow him, but then in verses 43 down through verse 48, he was interrupted by a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and he healed her. And then we read in verse 48, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Then we read verse 49, While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking those words, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. In verse 49, a dramatic change took place. Jesus had just performed the miraculous cure of the healing of this woman who had been sick for many years. But then, as he was still speaking to her at the same time, he received this news of this great tragedy that the daughter of Jairus had died. Someone from Jairus' home came with the news in verse 49. Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. This person who had come from Jairus' house, he had no doubt been with Jairus, when they agreed in Jairus' house that his daughter was so sick, they should send for Jesus, call her to the home, and heal her. So long as Jesus reached her while she was still alive. But now she was dead. And so he thought all hope was lost. There was nothing that could be done anymore. No one even considered if Jesus could bring her back from the dead once she had died. And so he spoke the words there in verse 49. He spoke them to Jairus. He said, your daughter has died. There is no more any hope. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. These were shocking words They were words of despair, and the faith which Jairus had was now beginning to be crushed, and the fear of despair was about to take over his heart. But before Jairus could say anything in response, Jesus, who overheard the words, spoke first in verse 50. And he said, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. The conflict in Jairus' heart was between fear and believing. The two are opposed to one another. And Jesus told him here, put away your fear. Put away your fear. Only believe in my word of promise. And this is my word of promise. She shall be made well. Faith is the cure For fear. Trust in me, Jesus says. Trust in my word and see how I will fulfill it. Do not be afraid anymore. Only believe in me. 
that I am able to not only heal your daughter from sickness, but I am able to raise her from the dead and she will be made alive and she will be made well again. Do not fear, only believe. I am the resurrection and the life. In verse 41, Jesus came to Jairus' house, took Peter and John and James and the girls' mother and father and went up into the room where she lay dead. And then we read in verse 54, he, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she rose immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Things seemed beyond all possible hope. But in those circumstances that are beyond human strength and power, Jesus can come and do the most amazing things. That is his domain. That is where he goes to do his gracious works. Where man cannot go and man has no power to do anything. But here we read, we learn an important lesson regarding fear. And it is that faith in God's promises is what overcomes our fears. Jairus had been given a specific promise in verse 50. She shall be made well. And it was by faith in that promise of Jesus that he overcame his fears and Jesus fulfilled his word and his daughter was healed and restored. We have promises in the scripture as well. And by faith and by trusting in God's promises, then we will be able to overcome our fears as well. David said in Psalm 57, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Faith triumphs. Faith in the word and the promises of God triumphs over fear. The next occasion in which we find these words of Jesus, do not fear, is found in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12. And beginning in verse 22... Jesus speaks about the anxieties of life. And he speaks in this passage much the way he did in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. We read in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. And we can skip down to verse 27. He said, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek 
what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. The promise of verse 31 is that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as he says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, the things of his kingdom, then all of these earthly things and the needs of this life that he has mentioned will be added to us. And then as we seek his kingdom in verse 31, now we have this promise in verse 32. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He calls his disciples little flock because they were so few in number and they seemed to be so weak in, con- in comparison to the great powers that were against them. But despite how small and weak they were, they were still beloved of their heavenly father. He calls them your, him your father, And the love of God for them was so great that Jesus assures them that he has gladly given to them the kingdom. The word gladly here means to be well pleased or to take pleasure and have delight in something. It is the same word used when God the Father spoke out of heaven concerning Jesus. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was well pleased in his beloved son at all times. But now because of what Jesus has done for us, he is well pleased, he is glad, and he has joy to give us the kingdom that his son has purchased for us. And Jesus, to remove all doubts, about all of their failures, the little faith that he mentions at the end of verse 28. They're worrying so much at the end of verse 29, despite all of their weakness and their failures. He assures them, he says, do not be afraid. Do not fear any things that, any of these things that seem to be against you. Little flock, your father who has chosen gladly, he has chosen gladly to give you The kingdom. The kingdom that he speaks of here is that kingdom that Jesus will bring when he returns at the second coming. When he sits on his glorious throne and he says, Blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It is the kingdom that John saw in the Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It is the kingdom of Revelation chapter 22, where there is the river of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb and the tree of life with its fruit every month, And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there is no longer any night because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall reign forever and ever. This is the kingdom that Jesus speaks of here that our heavenly father has chosen gladly to give 
to us. We are sometimes anxious about the cares of this life. Which Jesus has been speaking of in the previous verses. But if the Heavenly Father has been so pleased to give us this eternal kingdom, then will he not give us a little food, a little drink, and a little clothing as we make our way to that eternal kingdom? If he has so gladly given us the greater and eternal things, will he not freely give us the lesser and the earthly things of this life? It is not a strict matter of justice by which God the Father gives us the kingdom. It is not that he says the Son has purchased this kingdom by his life and death upon the cross and it is strictly a matter of justice by which I give them the kingdom. No. God the Father is glad and he rejoices And he has chosen freely and willingly to give us the entire and glorious kingdom. Lenski, who is a good commentator on the original language, he says of this word, do not be afraid here. He says that it is a word that is broad, general, in this context, and that it forbids all fears whatsoever in receiving this gift he says we are simply to rejoice and to have no fear of any kind put away all fears and do not even live with them anymore and does it not make sense that if we are not to fear those who kill the body If we are not to fear death, nor the storms and troubles of this life, nor fear that Jesus is able to take away the guilt of our sin, and if we are not to fear because our Heavenly Father has gladly given us this eternal kingdom, then there is really nothing left for us to fear in this life. And that's what Jesus is saying. If our Heavenly Father has so gladly promised to give us this eternal kingdom, what is there left for us to fear? Do not fear, little flock. Your Heavenly Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We'll turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28. And here we have the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We read, the women came, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the grave. On the first day of the week, we read down in verse 5. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, 
and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report to his, it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see me. Jesus had been crucified for sin. Laid in the tomb. But he is no longer in the tomb. He has been raised from the dead. And the women come and find the empty tomb. They are met by Jesus They take hold of his feet and worship him. They are filled with fear over what has happened. And Jesus said to them, do not fear. Do not fear. There is no reason any longer for any fears in your heart, only joy and assurance. Should not the resurrection of Jesus be the end of all fears? It is the proof that sin has been taken away. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. What reason could there ever be for any more fears as one stands in the presence of the resurrected Christ? Do not fear, Jesus said. And then he says, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. He wants to meet with them again. He calls them my brethren. The last time Jesus saw them, they were abandoning him as he was hanging upon the cross for their sins. But all has been forgiven. All has been wiped away. And he will remember their abandonment no more. They are my brethren, he says. Go and tell them, and I will meet with them. He calls us his brethren as well tonight from heaven. And that title, The Brothers and Sisters of Jesus, speaks of the closest family relationship to be the brothers and sisters of Christ. Martin Luther said this, he said, if Christ is our brother, I should like to know what we shall lack. Brethren in the flesh have common possessions, have together one father, one inheritance, otherwise they would not be brethren. So we have common possessions with Christ and have together one father and one inheritance which does not grow less when divided, but whoever has one part of the spiritual inheritance has it all. And so all things were now made ready for the eternal kingdom, and Jesus can say to his disciples, do not be afraid any longer. You are my brethren in that eternal kingdom. Our last passage is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation and chapter 1. And John has his vision here. 
in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And then he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him, and he saw Jesus exalted into his glory, resurrected, ascended into heaven to the throne of God. And then we read down in verse 17. He says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. A fear, not of terror, but a fear of overwhelming awe at the sight of Christ. Not actually dead, but we might think that he was in a state of conscious paralysis, unable to even move because of the overwhelming sight of the glory of Jesus. And then he tells us what Jesus did, and he laid his right hand upon me. A touch of Jesus' love, kindness, empowering strength to John to lift him up from his state of death, to give him a sense of peace. There was a message of comfort and grace for John. And so Jesus touches him with the right hand. And the first words that John hears are those words, do not be afraid. He had heard those words many times when Jesus was upon the earth with him. And they gave him comfort then now as never before. They give him comfort. The words that he has heard so many times before, do not be afraid, and Jesus gives him the reason. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I have been from eternity, and I will be for eternity to come. I am, I am Jehovah, the everlasting and all-sufficient God. I have always been the living one. Life all comes from me. And then he says, And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. What an astonishing thing that this glorious person from the throne of heaven, everlasting from the first, the last, the living one, this one that John had just seen on the throne of heaven, he had hung upon a cross, and he had been dead. He had experienced death, but now he is alive forevermore. He has conquered sin, Satan, death. Death can never have any power over him anymore. And he says, I have the keys of death and of Hades in my hand. I have absolute power over death and over the kingdom of darkness. And what Jesus is saying to John in these words, do not fear and consider who I am. What he is saying to John is what he said to John on earth. I am your friend. And I have prepared this place for you. He is telling him in the vision. That you may come and be with me where I am. And you may behold my glory. What reason could there possibly be for any fear? When the one who is so glorious with such power on his throne in heaven, the living one from everlasting is our friend. And he would say the same to all who believe. Do not be afraid. 
So we've seen the words of Jesus in these various passages today. Do not fear and do not be afraid. And that is his command to us on how we are to live life in this world. What a happy and pleasant frame of mind. What a happy and pleasant life we could have if we were able to do this perfectly. How frail and weak we are and how tempted we are to so many fears. How can we even begin to keep ourselves in this frame of mind that Jesus commands to us, do not fear and do not be afraid. First, we must rest ourselves trusting in the promises as we saw with Jairus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. The word of promise, we must have confidence Know the promises, rest and trust upon those promises. Second, we must pray, as Paul said to the Philippians, do not be anxious for anything or be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus and Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all of your anxiety upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Prayer, the word, especially prayer for the Holy Spirit. That as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in us by faith. And if Christ, the one who said, do not fear, if Christ himself dwells within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then surely he will give us strength to follow his word and not to fear and not to be afraid. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for such a wonderful and glorious Savior who has come down from heaven and told us these things that we are not to fear in all of the troubles, the storms, and the confusion of this life. Help us to fix our eyes upon him. By the Holy Spirit, may he dwell in us by faith. May we rest upon your word. May we know the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Give us help and grace now, Lord Jesus, in all of these things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.